welcome back to the Keys Coach podcast. My name's Adam and this is the podcast where I sit down with piano, keys and synth players and talk about their life in music. Today's guest is Ed Blunt. He's a pianist, a songwriter, choir director and in this chat we talk about everything from his early days and how he initially got into music. We talk about how he studied jazz and how he then transitioned into the songwriting scene through online songwriting camps and we do a deep dive into his songwriting process. We talk about his first album, Over the Moon, in particular the song The Dome of St Paul's, which you absolutely have to go and check out, I've put a link in the description. Ed is also the director of Camden Voices, which is an amazing choir in London, you have to go and see them live. This conversation is full of loads of great advice, particularly for anyone wanting to develop their songwriting. Before we dive into the conversation, if you're looking to level up your keys playing and are interested in hearing more about the keys coach as we continue to grow, I've put a link to sign up to our waitlist in the episode description. This will mean you'll be the first to know as soon as new content is released. We've got lots of exciting plans for the future, so do go ahead and sign up. Okay, let's dive into it. Here is the conversation with the wonderful Ed Blunt. Ed, thanks so much for coming on today. It's great to see you. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I wanted to start by asking you uh, a little bit just about how you got into music in the first place. Um, so whereabouts is home for you? Well, home is now Crystal Palace. Okay. Green, leafy Crystal Palace. Um, but I grew up in a place called Dorking in Surrey. Right. And Dorking, Surrey is... Most famous um, because it has its own specific breed of cockerel, and <laughs> that's uh, the most interesting thing about Dorking. Sorry. Okay. Fair and enough. then I left uh, there when uh, when I was uh, eighteen to study at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, and then I've been in London ever since then. Oh, very nice. So, so when you were when you were growing up. Was music a big part of your life? When did that all kind of kick off for you? Was your family musical or was it very much something you found on your own? Yeah, family was musical, not professional musician. Like a lot of my musical friends seem to have grown up in these sort of Von Trapp kind of <laughs> setups. Uh, but dad played guitar, mum played piano. And um, I do remember when I was an infant um, being very interested in the CD player and like listening to like, um, CDs on 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 vibe there, um, and then I got really obsessed with the drums. Okay. Um, and at the age of about six, I started snare drum lessons. Right. Um, and I think that was designed because, partly because they didn't want me to get a drum kit because it's a pain in the ass having a drum kit in the house. Yeah. Uh, but also, it made uh, me sort of really. I had to do a certain amount of years before I could migrate onto the drum kit. And so that was a really good way to, to get into it. And I've always thought that um, learning the drums is a great way to start um, sort of formal music education. Right. Because it takes away elements of pitch and harmony. Yeah. Just focusing on time. Um, and yeah, I just used to spend like weekends playing along to like Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. <laughs> Yeah, one of those kind of things. I remember that, the mega mix at the end. Yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> that's so weird. I used to love that. Yeah, I remember going to see that show when I was young and I was like, oh, that's really, you know, that's really, I think there are some really, there are some absolute bangers in that music. Oh, yeah. Funny. And it's a great show because it's full of pastiche. I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah. he's he just so, right, I'm going to do a Calypso song now and now I'm going to do like a rock ballad. Yeah. So you're basically learning loads of different styles. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that was sort of the beginnings. Great. So when when did the when did the piano come in? 
the piano came in um, because my dad used to play, he used to like print out chord sheets from the internet with lyrics and chords on his guitar. And I was right. like, oh, I wonder if you can do that on the piano. Um, and dad had enough piano skills to be able to identify middle C and yeah. then build a C chord from there. And okay. so he taught me how to do that. And that was like eureka moment. <laughs> um and so I started uh, just literally playing uh, root note triads, mainly sort of Oasis songs because they all seem to be in C major. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> there was what I I loved that um, "Don't Look Back in Anger," but there was one part of that that I couldn't play, which because it goes from F to F minor, yeah. and I didn't know how to do the F minor, so I just had to sort of forget that bit. Um, yeah, and then and then I I, I did. Um, I had four, I started formal piano lessons, but um, the teacher was great, but I had real issues with reading notes. Right. Um, and I don't know whether it was the pedagogical style that she had or me being not very good at that naturally mm. or a synthesis of both. Um, but I remember just torturous lessons. I trying to remember every good boy says food, all cows eat grass and just not being able to do it. Yeah. Um, so I persevered for a number of years and she persevered with me. Um, and then when I reached the age of maybe 16 or something, I went to the local music shop and said, I need to find a pop jazz person to help me because that's what I want to play. And um, luckily enough, I found a guy in my town um, who basically set me up teaching me how to play jazz and pop properly. Um he was probably younger than I am now, but I, of course, thought he was, like, <laughs> when you're 16, you think anyone... Yeah. yeah. And um, he was fantastic. He had a big interest in 80s music and pop. Um, and I remember the first... I remember our first lesson, sort of... He played me, like, a C major 7 chord, and I thought it was the most beautiful sound in the world. Mm. And then he had, and then he did a C major add 9 chord, and I thought that was the most beautiful sound in the world. But when you're that age and you haven't heard complex harmony it's amazing how fresh and amazing it all sounds and now i play it and it's like Ugh. yeah 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 it sort of dilutes over time doesn't it sometimes yeah, you have to keep yeah. on finding new things it's amazing yeah. what you say though about reading music i mean i certainly had that it i think it was because it i'd always played by ear which sounds like you you kind of had done as well playing along with your dad and all those kinds of things but i think when it gets introduced like learning to read music at such a young age you can go from playing with your ears to playing with your eyes. And I think that shift is so like ginormous. We slightly underestimate that. Yeah. And I meet lots of people nowadays that in the kind of music they play and in the worlds they work, they don't need to be able to read music, but mm. they always apologize straight away that they can't read music. Yes. It's, it's like seen as this, for some reason, I think if, if, I mean, obviously if you're, if you're playing classical music and you're playing and you're playing certain, certain styles, then it's, it's so important to be able to read. It's kind of how you, how you mm. learn the music, but in other, in other styles, it, it, it isn't as necessary. I mean, what do you think about that? Do you, I mean, how do you kind of think about reading music nowadays? I mean, presumably you, you use it a lot for some of the jobs you do, but in others, for some you, of the jobs. Yeah. yeah. But, but most as like you, most of the people I work with nowadays don't read and, um, their memorization is so much better and the i think the advantage of of having some music theory literacy is being able to communicate efficiently in a rehearsal or a recording situation um 
just having the terminology to quickly identify what you're trying to do sort yeah. of um when you don't know what a two four bar is it's kind of a complex thing to explain without saying two four bar or whatever um yeah but no i, I think oh, some of the best musicians i work with don't read music and it's not an issue and it's interesting isn't it how this how it's become like everyone has to apologize for it yeah 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 it's, i just i just think it's a really interesting thing it's, it's you know my reading's never been great and i've definitely got it together but i i feel very i think when i'm when i'm having to sight read something i'm definitely not in my comfort zone i'm like no. out of my comfort zone and i'm just waiting for it to go wrong at some point you know yeah. that's very much yeah. how i am how i am with it anyway i kind of i sort sorry i kind of uh, interrupted you in that so you were saying so you were kind of you found this amazing piano teacher that kind of was showing you all these these chords what what was the next step after that next step was setting up like a band at school it was we called it a jazz band but it was like a function band kind of uh doing moon dance ray charles uh mustang sally can't believe i used to like that tune <laughs> and um and that, that sort of led me on the path of discovering my uh flair for di- musical direction um i've always liked leading ensembles and and i think running that band sort of really got me into that world and uh, it was a good band. We took it to the Edinburgh Fringe twice, and um, oh, this is all when yeah. you were at school. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's and amazing. So that experience. was good. Yeah, and then I also the other sort of main sort of ensemble playing I did was playing in the local church, and that the church was one of those sort of hands in the air contemporary Christian churches, basically playing Coldplay style church pop, um, and. But that got me really good at being able to follow singers and also uh, just be right, really flexible. Because sometimes, you know, in that kind of in, in, in services, sometimes you'd be playing under a speaker uh, who would be doing a sermon, and then you'd have to suddenly break into a chorus. And um, yeah, I, I used to love doing that. Um, and then, then because I was in this band at school and stuff, we all basically went to audition for music colleges and and i i went around the different colleges doing auditions and ended right. up uh, going to guildhall okay fantastic so how, how how did you find that whole experience of going to music college because you did a jazz course right so mm. um for anyone who's listening uh i think I, i've spoken about this in a previous interview but could you just explain what a jazz course a jazz course is for anyone who doesn't know because it's it's quite an abstract thing that you can get a degree mm. in jazz you know if you if you're not in that world so mm. Well, it's quite broad and it's a performance degree um, and it involves, I suppose, learning all the different styles that are involved in this sort of quite strange term, jazz. So, um, I mean, at Guildhall, there was a lot of um, pretty modern stuff that we started out with and I, I always thought we should be going back to the 1900s and learning that stuff first. But anyway... Um, yeah, so there was, there was a mixture of uh, one-to-one piano lessons, and I was lucky enough to have Malcolm Urbanstone as my teacher, um, who still holds the record for the largest hands of any pianist that I've met. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he can stretch. It's, it's insane. Um, what, bigger than and, a tenth? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. It's insane. Yeah. Um, and then there would be ensemble uh, groups where we'd be playing in small bands and there was, and then there were big band concerts and, and there was a lot of theoretical stuff as well but I'm very grateful for the opportunity to study there because uh, I think when you study jazz you, you, you particularly with harmony you, you get a real 
really interesting understanding of harmony. Um, and on a side point, the, the jazz uh, theory about harmony is completely different from the classical sort of un- framework and the terminology. And I've had some very weird conversations with classical musicians about cadences. Right. Have you had that? They, they call I them have, very strange yeah. things. I did. I've I've, re- I've just actually written two books for. They were they're sort of coming out later this year. They're they're like music theory books, but they're on the popular rock, like they're pop rock music theory books. And uh, I had a I had a sort of team of people who I was kind of um, sort of consulting with on it. And uh, yeah, there were some very very interesting conversations about what a cadence is, and mm. you know, a French sixth or a Neapolitan mm. sixth, and all these different things where you can actually just go, "Oh, it's actually just like D flat major seven going to C or something." Mm. Like that. But there's, there's, all these, there's all these. They different don't really kind of have a, a scale chord scale. Uh, no, so they think concept. of everything. So when you learn classically, it's much more about thinking broadly in the key, mm. um, and. There's all sorts of things about uh, modulating to the different parts of a key. So you, you might mm. modulate to chord, modulate to the subdominant. Whereas actually to me, a mod- I, I've always thought of a modulation as the entire piece of music changing key, rather than yes. just a little two bars where you've actually gone to a chord that's already within the key. Yes. So yes, there's all these yes. kinds of strange terms and I'm still getting my head around the different terminology that different people use. But yeah, you're absolutely right. There's some, mm. there's some quite- To be fair, the music is different. Yeah, <laughs> It exactly. works in a different way. It does, so. yeah, it does. It's kind of, it's really interesting though. So um, yeah, I, I went to Guildhall, did my four year stint there and I was pretty happy to be leaving once it came to an end. I'm not a person who thrives in institutions, right? particularly competitive ones like music colleges. Um, I'm very much a free agent and it was kind of a relief to get it done. Um, and since then, it's, yeah, I mean, God, it's more than 10 years since I left college. So that's mad, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot. It's a long time. Are you still in contact with a lot of the people you went to college with? Are they? Are you still kind of playing with them? Is it that? You know. Yeah, bits and bobs. I'm I'm in kind of a different world now. Now, but I do I do sort of run into people on on gigs every so often, and I have a core cool group of friends that, mm. that we keep in touch with. So it's an it's part. It's an important part of your life, isn't it? Because you're still a child basically when you go to college, and you're of course, building yeah. a friendship group, and it's a new city, and all of those things. Yeah. You know, that's really... So when you say you're in a different different world, if someone was just meeting you for the first time, what would you describe the world you're in now? How would you describe it? Or is it a mixture of different worlds, would you say? Well, like all musicians, I do... I wear different hats. But at the moment, I'm doing a lot in the sort of Americana and folk worlds. Um, and I do think I've really found my tribe uh, through that. It's kind of the music that I've always loved. I grew up listening to like Paul Simon and James Taylor and and that's what I've always identified with and um and being a piano player in that world is is kind of a, a, a lucky thing because there aren't many of them everyone plays guitar right um so and so I've I've through it's basically I I fell into this world through uh, songwriting mm. and uh, songwriting camps and through through those camps I met a lot of different artists and um I've stayed in touch with a lot of them and I've ended up being the main, uh, having the piano chair in their, in their bands. Um, so I'm doing a lot of touring at the moment with an artist called Holly Rogers, who's, who's doing really well. We're playing lots of different um, uh, venues like art centres and places like that. Um, 
and then I've got quite a few sort of co-writes uh, coming out as well. So at the moment, I'm sort of fifty-fifty writing and fifty and fifty percent um, playing. Great. Well, let's let's talk about the um, let's talk about the writing because I think that's obviously been like a huge thing that you've got into. I mean, I read somewhere that this was something that you really got into in in lockdown, mm. um, and particularly like those songwriting camps uh, that you took part in. So, am I right in thinking this was like an online writing camp that you took part yeah, in? Yeah, I, I just found it by chance on Instagram. Um, and uh, it's run by a guy called Chris Difford, who's one of the writers from Squeeze. And um, yeah, so I just signed up to this thing because I'd always wanted to write songs, but I was too scared to do it. Yeah. And uh, so, so the first day I logged on to Zoom and there was this sort of uh, checkerboard of faces. And Chris sort of introduced everyone and then gave everyone a brief to write. And he said, right, go away and write a song and come back in three hours and share it with the group. And uh, so we all logged off and I spent three hours sort of in a state of complete stress. <laughs> Wasn't able to write a single thing. Right. And uh, turned up a bit shamefaced and everyone played these amazing songs. And I was like, I can do anything. So the next day came around and um, I was like, oh, I really don't want to go back to this thing. Right. <laughs> but uh, he gave another brief and this time I just knuckled down and got a song out. And uh, it's the first song I've ever shared with anyone. And I did it and played it to them over Zoom and, and they all really liked it. And that was really a light bulb moment. And and then since then, I've really, really dived into that world. And I've been a, a lot of uh, in-person writing camps and it's sort of just broadened my musical world. And it's so soul enriching mm. songwriting. What? You get to know yourself through it. What what kind of things were the briefs? Can you give us an idea of the sort of what a brief might be for a song? Yeah, he, so some of them are pretty loose. One day it might be uh, write a song about losing something. So Chris would maybe tell a story about maybe losing a friend or or something, and then we'd go right and go away and write uh, with that brief. Or uh, it might start. Chris might play us three different songs. Uh, all under the length of two minutes, and the aim is to write a, a two-minute song. Right. Um, so nice and vague, but tight enough to just keep you in a bo- box yeah. Um, somewhat. Yeah. And then you'd write write these songs on your own rather than it with other people online? Uh, a mixture. Well, the first day would always be by yourself, and then you'd be paired up with a complete stranger okay. who might be in Sydney. Right. <laughs> and you, I don't know if you've done much co-writing, but it's the best way to get to know someone very deeply, very quickly. Yeah, I agree, yeah. Um, and co-writing over Zoom is a mad thing anyway because there's latency. You can't jam in the way that you'd normally start a co-write. Mm. Um, so it was more a fragmented process, but it's amazing what results pe- people came up with. Um, yeah. Yeah, just through working in that way. That sounds really cool. So are you a lyric person or do you focus more on the harmony when you you know how did you find how did you approach writing lyrics for the first time um i've all i've really i i would say i'm more of a lyric person right okay than a cool person um i love writing lyrics I, I see it a bit like a puzzle because popular the art of popular song is to say something new but with a very limited vocabulary because the point of of music on the radio is that anyone can understand it, even a f- like five year old child. So your set of words is very limited, and to be able to construct something new that doesn't use cliches and doesn't fall back on f- familiar, well trodden paths, oh, it's so interesting. 
So when I write for myself, I usually write uh, all, everything at the same time called uh, music and lyrics. Uh, but if I'm working with an artist who's going to be performing the song, I'll probably sit back on the lyrics and let them take charge because okay. it's important that they're saying what they want to say. So when so when you're so when you're writing, how long is that process from start to finish between starting with the initial idea and then ending up with a song? Is that sometimes a short period of time or is it an extended period of time? Mm. It can take years and it can take minutes. <laughs> so I'll give you two examples. One. One song on my upcoming album is called Cocoon. Um, and that uh, song took about three years to finish, not working it every day, <laughs> because I came up with a chorus that I loved and uh, couldn't, couldn't finish the rest of the song. Um, so, and then I forgot about it. And then um, two years later, I, was, I had a writing day with a friend and I, I, and I was like, oh, I should, come, I should take some ideas so we have something to start with. And I, I've, found this chorus on my hard drive so I was like oh we'll take this and um and then I played it to her and and we then we finished the song in 10 minutes once she's heard that chorus so it's funny how a song often has to just find the right time to make itself uh ready for finishing but then on the other hand um one of my favorite songs I've written is is my Christmas song called the Dome of St Paul's and that song was written literally in about 15 minutes mm. um it was one run these writing camps and I'd we had a three-hour block in which to write we had to, and the brief was to write a song about London so I spent two hours and 45 minutes trying to construct a song about like I can't remember about like London bus routes or something and it was like the most horrible song I've ever written just crap and I was like I can't share this yeah <laughs> and so I just wrote I set myself tasked with writing 20 titles down and then one of them was the Dome of St Paul's and then and then that reminded me of when I used to live near there, when I was at Guildhall, and the snow started coming down. So I was like, right, it's going to be a Christmas song. Then I started singing this really folky melody, like in a kind of over-the-top pastiche style. And I remember like literally just like trying to mash chords under this melody and it quite sort of just need to get this done. Um, but that's turned into one of my favourite songs. It's so interesting. Often the, the time constraint is what makes creativity like, burn really fast 100% yeah when you've got a deadline or you set a deadline for yourself then that that's I think mm. when the ideas flow anyone who's listening to this um that's that you can actually watch the video to the Dome of St Paul's right and that was that there was an amazing animation by Chicken Fruit mm. Animation who did that do you want to just talk about how that process worked because it's incredible it's like a Pixar movie yes I had for my album I had budget to do one video and I thought if it's going to be one song it needs to be the Christmas song because then I can flog the video every year <laughs> <laughs> very good and I thought it's such a visual song it's a story of a magical Christmas night in London I thought this needs to be like a kids Pixar film and just through a friend I was I found this amazing company called Chicken Fruit and uh, oh my god the amount of love they put into that video um, and it's quite something it's really beautiful um yeah, so I was, I was lucky for that to, to happen. I'm surprised it hasn't been picked up by any uh, kind of like the John, it's the kind of thing you'd see on like the John Lewis yeah, ad or yeah. something like that. You need to get it in yeah. there, man. That's the, I think that could be your uh, retirement plan, maybe. Definitely. Uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> Hi, it's Adam here. I just want to quickly interrupt the podcast to ask you a very small favour. If you're getting lots of value from these conversations and want to stay up to date with all our latest episodes, please do subscribe to The Keys Coach wherever you get your podcasts. 
This means that you can continue to hear these great conversations and you'll be notified each time a new episode comes out. And if you're feeling even more generous, please do consider leaving us a review. This helps others to discover the podcast and join this community. Thank you so much for your support. Hit that subscribe button. Let's get back to the conversation. So I've, I've also seen some other videos of you playing guitar and writing at the guitar. Do you want to talk about where that came in? Because hmm. I, yeah, guitar, the music I love is all guitar music. The James Taylors and the Joni Mitchells, it's, most of it is guitar music. And, and I used to play guitar pretty badly. And then it must have been the start of last year, I just picked it up properly and been quite obsessed with getting better at guitar. It's brought me back, like I was talking earlier, it's brought me back to those teenage times when I was looking up like Oasis chord charts mm. and playing them on the piano. I can like spend an evening on YouTube just learning a song on guitar like I'm 14 again. Yeah. And it's, I think with piano, I was feeling get, things getting a bit stale because I played it for so long and uh, I'm not the world's best piano player, but I'm sort of at a competent level now. So the progress is quite incremental. But when you're learning an instrument from scratch, you can you can really get pretty good quite fast. And um yeah, so I've been doing a lot of writing on that and performing on that, which has been terrifying, uh, playing an instrument that you're not very good at on stage. Of course. But it's been very good for me. And for for the writing side of things, the fact that I only have a limited vocabulary of chords makes it very useful uh, because I can only play certain things and it just gets me into a song much quicker than on the piano. Oh, that's interesting. Do you, do you find that the harmony you're writing is completely different on the guitar? They, do you find the songs have different sound worlds? Yeah, very much so. More, more of a country style on the guitar as well. Yeah. Um, I'm only using three chords most of the time, mostly in G major. Yeah. The thing I love about um, particularly, I mean, I don't know, have you checked out those James Taylor uh, guitar tutorials? Yes, they're so they're good, aren't they? Yeah, I've I've watched those. I mean, I'm I can't, I'm not great at guitar, but I've I've checked those out and tried to. I get quite frustrated. It's really weird. It's really weird going back to do something you kind of like can't do at all. You know, when I when I like the the closest analogy I can make to it is when I went skiing for the first time, and I was mm. like, I just couldn't do it at all. It's actually mm. very rare in life to go and do something that you completely can't do at all. And mm. I feel a little bit like that with the guitar because everything shifted. I mean on a really simple level on the guitar you've got the same note in in a like several mm. several different places so it's like what's that shape it's like it's, it's like learning music from a completely different perspective yeah, yeah. and i think that's so um, i think that's so good because it kind of refreshes your ears and gives you a completely different sound world to work in and and also like doing gigs when i'm singing I didn't realise this before I went on stage that you can't look at what you're doing on the guitar when you're singing because you've got a mic in front of you. So you're very limited sight line wise. Yeah, um, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, yeah. that'd be really cool, cool to ask you actually about your, about your singing because that has obviously been there a little bit. But when did that become a real... When did, you, when did you feel confident enough to kind of put your singing out there as, as an artist? Because I know a lot of piano players that have, have started on piano and then begun singing later on. And, and, I, and I think that's a really interesting process of becoming, mm. you know, confident in your own voice to be able to go and do that. Mm. Well, it's, it's a work in progress still. I, I still don't have a lot of confidence with it, but I've got better at uh, not caring what anyone thinks <laughs> and just getting one into it. Yeah, that's the best way to be. Um, but mainly through leading choirs, mm. uh, using my voice more, um, 
and but I mean it was literally only maybe about 12 months ago that I did my first perform no 18 months ago that I did my first sort of solo singing gig so I'm very new in the game but I'm getting more used to it now yeah um, with and I can learn lyrics so much faster now. Right now, I've been doing that a lot more. Um, but yeah, what is your what is your process for learning lyrics? I think people would really like to hear that. Do you have a set? Do you have a, like a, a, a formula that you follow to learn them, or is it just a very organic process of repeating things? Do you sit with them on your phone, or how does it how it work? I usually learn um, the structure backwards. So I start with the last bit, the last chunk, and then work backwards from there. Because it's the same thing with like when kids learn a new piano piece they're really good at line one <laughs> then by line four it's like car crash yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so always get the last bit in first and then and then you're sort of you're on the home straight all through the song that's what i find that's a really good way i, I also use um i also use a lot of visual uh, things so i i create a little um visual map in my head of what what's happening and did you did you find that being able to sing and play at the same time was a very natural process for you because I think a lot of people really struggle with uh, struggle with that particularly from what from what I've seen and particularly where I work actually a lot a lot of people that are singer songwriters who sing and play at the piano if they're playing piano they can really focus on that if they're singing they can really focus on that but as soon as you put the two together one one goes is that something that you've mm. you've found quite a natural process or has that been a very much working progress no, I've always found that natural. Um, and that may be because uh, from my early days playing the drum kit, maybe I have good independence of yeah. limbs. and I don't know. Yeah. How, how do you help people with that kind of... Oh, it's really... I, I, well, it's hard. I mean, I think what you can do is you, you really have to break it down. You have to simplify everything. Because I think if you're just playing piano, you can really kind of extend different things and try different things out and be a bit more creative with it. And if you're singing, you can do that. But as soon as you put them together, that's where like maybe the time goes or the kind of tuning in the voice goes. So what I think, one thing I think people can do just to really simplify that is just do simple root notes on the song they're playing in the left hand, no right hand, and just sing over the top of that, but keep the time really good, keep the feel really good, keep the energy really good, and then begin to build it up from there. Because... Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th I think a lot of people have said it's a it's a natural uh, a natural process, but I know that some people, particularly if if something has come later, like the singing or the playing, they struggle with it a little more. Mm. Um, a lot of it is is finding the voice, it, the, the the shapes of the hand. I mm. think, isn't it? And people don't practice transitions enough with with piano. I think it's like um, being able to plan your transition. So. Uh, when I'm teaching someone like a chord pattern with new shapes um, I'll get them to hold the chord eight beats on the chord and throughout those eight beats I'll be saying right let's get ready and imagine the next shape and then they're bang they're ready to go on the next thing it, it's about cutting that sort of faff time mm. between finding um, yeah and it's, it's all about practicing metronomically I think isn't it you yeah. always have to have a time yeah. uh, rather than just playing freely because then you're not teaching your brain to speed up some sort of groove you know yeah mm. did you find that learning all that jazz harmony and the kind of and those those voicings and all of that kind of world did you find that that really helped you kind of create some really interesting moments in your song or do you kind of say actually i'm not going to use any of that and i'm just going to focus on mm. this new sound world yeah it's a great question i don't use any of that stuff really <laughs> all, all, all my harmony is 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 cfg yeah 
one called one four and five but that it's not a deliberate choice it's just i like i like simplicity yeah in in songwriting but i would my next album i might uh, explore some new harmonic terrain because lots of my favorite songwriters um do all that kind of stuff it's i mean you listen to some of these national i was listening to an interview with shania twain the other yeah. day the song like man i feel like a woman that goes all over the place and it modulates down yeah. for the chorus which really is quite cool, unusual yeah. um but those Nashville people have a very different conception. It's not like they're doing sort of uh, parallel sus chord kind of interesting harmony like that. It's more like sort of, right, let's just go to a new key now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, finding interesting yeah. place to modulate. I mean, I think that's I think that's really cool. Yeah, I, you're, you're right about that song. I was just thinking about where it goes. Yeah, it goes does go around the houses. Um, very weird. <laughs> for everyone who's listening, Ed runs uh, Camden Voices, which is an amazing London-based choir. And you mentioned earlier that you, you kind of developed a lot of your singing through running choirs. So can you just talk about where that, when that came in in your kind of journey? When did you start working with large vocal groups? Well, I started accompanying for choirs at college, um, the first choir I accompanied for was the Choir With No Name, which is a choir for sort of marginalised people, lots of homeless people in that choir. And um, that really helped me get my chops together in how to accompany in, in the, for like a pop choir mm. kind of thing. I also loved just the community of, of yeah. a regular weekly choir rehearsal. So yeah, and then I started doing gospel choir accompanying. And then I realised that I just wanted my own group to lead. And so... Uh, this was 10 years ago I set up Camden Voices um, and put out ads on Gumtree asked some of my friends and um, and then built a choir from that and uh, like you've run, been running a choir for a long time it's been a, you know it takes a lot of energy and dedication to keep the thing afloat um, but it has been I'd describe it a bit like it's been like a rock to me over the 10 years because London is like a very transitory and lonely place. And particularly when you're a freelancer, uh, to have one thing that you have have that's steady in your life, it's really important. Um, so yeah, it's a great thing. And I've learned not only a lot musically, but also about how to deal with people and about how to promote events. And it's, yeah, it's been a good, good thing. That's really, really cool. And I know you did quite a lot of recordings in particularly, well, obviously there's been lots of recordings of you re rehearsing in person, but there's some really big ones online of some some videos you did in lockdown. Do you want to just talk a bit about those? Yeah, I remember walking down the street and listening to the radio and they're talking about, oh, this, they're thinking about doing a lockdown next week. And I was like, hmm, so what's going to happen to choir if there's a lockdown? <laughs> and then I thought with my uh, PR hat on, I was like, maybe we should do one of those sort of put together virtual videos. And so I knew it was going to be the next big thing. So I, was, I really uh, got got my act together quite quickly and f forced all these poor singers to send in these very complicated <laughs> recordings of them singing with headphones and like, uh, and basically I learned how to do make a video like that really quickly. And we put it out in the, it must've been like the first week of lockdown or something. And then it had this mad snowball effect, and um, I was getting run up by rung up by journalists and stuff to do BBC News interviews. And <laughs> I think and everyone was desperate for a good 
good news story at that point yeah. to put at the end of their their bulletins and it was amazing and um it's it's now on like two million views or something which for like for a choir video quite a niche yeah thing. absolutely <laughs> i'll put a link to that in the description because anyone can go and go and check it out and I, I know you write a lot of your um own arrangements for that choir What's your process when you're writing an arrangement? Because I know you've written loads and loads of different arrangements now, mm. and I, I've even used some of your arrangements in my own choir that I run. Mm. Uh, yeah, can you talk a little bit about how that works? Well, I'm very picky about the song, and I learned to be picky from Pete Churchill, who I used to sing in, who you know, who I used to sing in the London Vocal Project. He, he always used to say, I always look at the lyrics first without even listening to the song. Uh, because choir songs, uh, are, it's a peculiar kind of genre. You have to avoid love songs right. because having, for me, having 30 people singing a love song is a bit odd. It has to be a theme that people can get behind or, or it has to be funny or it has to make sense lyrically. So once I've found that, which those songs are far and few between, um, then I can start on the arrangement and... Uh, like with my songwriting my arranging is always very simple I don't really do reharmonization. I don't change the structure I don't want to me if it's a great song I don't want to mess with it so I just basically do it as 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 it sh as it should be done um, a lot of my arrangements have solo uh, part features in and that's because uh, Camden Voices has a, has a great selection of singers who can all do a solo um, but I'm getting better at doing just core, just choir arrangements because I think there's a real strength in everyone being able to sing it all the time. Of course. Um, but I, and I usually arrange at the piano um, using triadic structures in my right hand and then independent bass line in the left hand. That's my sort of bread and butter mm. pop choral arranging. Yeah, I mean, just for anyone who's listening who maybe hasn't sung in a choir, doesn't know how choirs work, you essentially have four parts. You've got the soprano, which is like the high voices, then the alto, the tenor, and then the bass right down at the bottom. So when you're saying you're using triadic structures in your right hand, that in your right hand would be the soprano, alto, and tenor kind of moving in some mm -hmm. kind of triadic shape, um, and then a bass line doing something more independent. Mm -hmm. Then presumably you use unison and use other other things as well to break up. But is that yeah. kind of the main your main go-to kind of formula for yes. arranging? In fact, unison is probably the most uh, underrated and useful part of uh, like the arranger's arsenal mm. because some some songs just won't be harmonised. Some melodies won't be harmonised. Yeah, <laughs> as much as you try and contort them. Um, yeah, so that's my main thing. But with pop and gospel music, the bass part can often be a nightmare to write right. because it's it's naturally three-part music. And sometimes when you try and crowbar in a bass line, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, but for the type of singers that I have in my choir, the bassists don't want to sing tenor parts because they're bassists. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting thing. Some Sometimes like a contrapuntal thing where you've got your three-part right-hand triadic structure and then a bass line that sort of does other things rhythmically is the answer it depends on the song though i think i know i know you've done lots of arranging for other instruments as well like strings and there's particularly on your album which we're gonna i'm, I'm sure mm. we'll talk about in a second uh there's been you know you've got uh, writing for strings on there do you think writing for voices has helped inform writing for other instruments yes i think so particularly with voice leading and things like that but it's not the same uh it, i mean 
the the old school methodology for voices and instrumental writing is different because you can be a bit naughtier with intervals with instruments because mm. they've got buttons to press. Um, but I do think the root of all music and particularly music with harmony is singing. And so if you make it beautiful to sing, then it'll be beautiful to play and, and it will sound nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> it's really cool. And where, where can people go and check out Camden Voices? Are you recruiting new singers? Is that something you're, you're actively doing or is this? Yeah, we're on our summer break and then September we're going to be hitting it again with, and uh, we'll be auditioning then. Oh, fantastic. And we're always looking for new people. I will put a link in the description to anyone who's interested in joining. I've seen them and uh, they are absolutely fantastic group. It's, it's a, it's really, really amazing, uh, amazing sound they make. It's brilliant. Um, Okay, well, let's just talk about your let's talk about your album that came out last year, Over the Moon. Um, I think I think the people listening would love to just hear how you go from a few songs that maybe you've written uh, to having a fully produced album. What does that What does that process look like for you? And was it was it did it all happen in kind of a week, or was it was it a much more extended extended mm. process? And how did you find the musicians to to to, to play on it? Well, basically, it all comes down to money. So um, I decided I wanted it to be a nice sounding album done in a studio. And I, so I did a crowdfunder. And uh, so I ended up, ended up with a very nice pot of money from some very generous friends. Um, and uh, I used that to hire a studio for five days. And... Um, and so I knew what I was playing with there. But in terms of before that, um, I be basically um, set myself a target of releasing an album before the year was out. So I, I had an X amount of months uh, to write and finish the songs in. Um, but a lot of it was just blundering in the dark, basically. Um, I knew and there were certain songs that I really liked. That I was like, yeah, I'm going to include these. Um, and then it all sort of fell into place and all the songs made sense together. Um, and then I, I mocked up some very basic logic demos, um, which we took into the studio and had used them for our guide vocal and our, and our tracks and tempos and things like that. And then I just booked musicians I liked as a rhythm section and we did it very quickly. And uh, I think the main point was to, to cut out any perfectionism that might creep into it because that's a very toxic trait in me of over fiddling with things and so it was all done in five days and then it was mixed and then I put it out but I didn't really know what I was doing so this next album I'm a lot more savvy with how it works what do, what do you mean you're more savvy? what kind of things have you learned from doing that, that you're going to change when you do the next one well I was so exhausted by by the time I'd finished making the album I didn't really know how to do the PR stuff so I just put it out and and <laughs> This time, uh, I, I'm going to be a bit smarter with the release schedule, and uh, I've got a few featured artists that that are on the album that will um, hopefully bring in some listeners from their fan base. Um, it's a difficult environment to put out music nowadays because so many people are doing it, which is great, but to be heard and uh, noticed uh, is is hard. Um, so I'm also planning on gigging a lot more and just doing the songs live because I think that's where you build real connections with people uh, where they have to sit and listen to you 
of course <laughs> listen to the songs in full um it's different experience to watching a video on instagram mm. if there's someone listening to this who's thinking i've got this pool of songs and i'd love to go out and do these these gigs where i actually perform them how how can you how can you make that happen how is it possible to get gigs as a musician i mean what what how how have you found what's worked for you um i think instagram's really good for for meeting people um so for example in london there are many singer songwriter nights where maybe the top rim of a pub or something um there'll be a sort of four or five different artists playing and often if you ping a message to to those accounts and say I've got some songs I'd love to play them you'll get a nice response for for me it was a bit different because I already have an existing network of musicians that I can sort of say oh can I are you doing that night I can do a few songs and so for example the singer I play for Holly Rogers she's very generous she lets me do the support slot uh, at her concerts a lot uh, which which is good for me building a fan base um yeah. Um, and lastly, I wanted to ask you about, so it's a slightly uh, slightly strange one, but I thought it'd be so interesting. Um, I know you've done a lot of work where you've transcribed pop songs and you've written out full piano arrangements. Um, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that process, because I think there's so much interesting, there's so many interesting things in that, because you're having to find how to take something that's essentially a song with a vocal and then put it under the fingers so someone can actually play that mm. vocal line whilst also playing the chords and the and the bass line as well. So mm. maybe you could just talk, and it's also really interesting considering that you were saying earlier that your reading isn't as, hasn't, hasn't been as strong with that, considering that is fundamentally mm. writing down and notating those songs. So maybe you could just talk a bit about how that process works and what, how, I mean, maybe it's similar to how you write vocal arrangements, but yeah, how, how do you go from taking a song and then creating an arrangement for the piano? Mm. Yeah, so I've done a lot of work for um, Hal Leonard and Music Sales Publishers doing that kind of stuff and you get given a batch of songs uh, to do and um, I got very good at doing it very quickly because there's a set fee per song. <laughs> so, it's, I mean, there's, sometimes they'd send me like 10 minute musical theatre things and it's like, oh my God. And then sometimes it'd be a two minute song. But um, I'd flesh out the structure first um, get all my DS and coder and stuff in place because obviously you don't want people dealing with 12 sheets of paper it's got to be as compact as possible so get all my uh, all that in place double bar lines repeats etc uh, and then I'd notate the melody on a separate stave on a vocal stave um, and then yeah the piano part is the nightmare part because the rule uh, in these publishing houses is that, is that the uh, melody must be included in the piano part which most of the time is completely impractical mm. Uh, so I would just simplify and simplify to basically melody only in the piano part and then a very solid bass line that doesn't have much syncopation because they've got to be playable for like the teenagers who wants to play like the new hit, the new Ed Sheeran hit or yeah. whatever. That shows how uncool I am. <laughs> I think teenagers listen to Ed Sheeran. They definitely don't. Um, yeah, and so yeah, it'd be a case of basically ignoring the harmony stick to root notes and get the melody in there but oh my some of the songs they had sent me that i was given a there was a rap song that didn't have any harmony at all, no sort of notes in it it was all spoken so um i think i, I just put in a, a a root note to function as like the bass drum or something in the left yeah. hand and then the rest of it i just put crosses uh 
to show the rhythm for the vocal. Right, <laughs> and I, I was see. like, right, good luck with yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, it's a really, really interesting thing. I think it's, I think it's really, it's probably a really good process to go through to, particularly with those pop songs where the melody is like, sorry, the chorus is significantly like higher or, or like more wide ranging than the verses to be able mm. to find the voicings and the kind of shapes that are able to accompany mm. that, I think is, is, is really, really I cool. mean, often I would do a thing where you'd have, if, if the melody was simple enough that it would allow it, I would use two voices in my, I was using Sibelius mm. software at the time. So I'm imagining the right hand, the thumb would like hold a semi breathe while the rest other fingers put the melody in yeah. and that would provide some harmonic context uh, in the right hand uh, but yeah i mean i think those those publishing houses would do a lot better if they just wrote, wrote a piano part nice chords mm. and then the person playing it could just sing the tune yeah above it that's much more musical absolutely that's really cool thanks so much for coming on ed um i'd love to ask you what uh what the future holds for you what is your um whereabouts what 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 kind of things do you want do you want to be doing you're still young you've still got so much t mm. so much ahead of you do you want to carry on writing is there a, or is there another kind of aspect that you see yourself moving into as well well the immediate future is i've just sent my second album out to for mixing so that's going to be out uh soon and then i'm planning to do some touring to to promote that um in a long-term future i'd love to write songs for film I have no idea how to make that happen, but it's something I'd love to do. Um, and um, when you say songs for film, do you yeah. mean uh, you mean actually like a, like fully like as, a, as opposed to film scores? You mean the actual like yeah. okay, so like a Bond yeah. theme or something like that? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I just saw the other day. There's a new uh, Willy Wonka film coming out, and Neil Hannon from the Divine Comedy is penned the songs for that one. And I just thought finally they've picked the right person to do the right film because yeah. you get the same guys doing all yeah, these yeah, yeah. i won't name names mm. but it's nice when that happens when you get yeah. <laughs> the perfect person with but something like that would be great um and i, I would like to be uh doing more and more writing as as i go because that's where i feel my strength is and um yeah that sounds awesome so if, if people want to go and check you out where can they where can they do that i'll put a link to your over the moon album uh, in the uh, description, but where else can people go and check check you out? So I'm I'm fairly good on Instagram these days, and my Instagram is Ed Blunt Music, uh, and Facebook and all of that stuff. So they can go check you out there. Okay, amazing, Ed. Thanks so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and catching up. Yeah, nice one, Adam. See you soon. Thanks so much to Ed for coming on the podcast. It was so great hearing about everything he's up to. Do go and check out all the links in the description and go and check out his music. Thanks so much for listening. We have lots of other awesome guests coming up for you. So do remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and I will see you in the next episode.